Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Antioch. I hope you're doing well. I'm grateful for the chance to bring you God's Word today. We're going to pick up where Sean left us off last week in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. So, 11 days ago, here in the U.S., it was Inauguration Day. And whether we were happy about it or not, we watched the inauguration of our new president and vice president. Um, Inauguration is a public ceremony that commemorates the beginning of a new administration. And Inauguration Day is the official launch of a new presidential term. And as we know, it's always a big deal. Uh, The president gives their inaugural address. And then later in the day, like President Biden did last week, they have their first day in office where they issue their first executive orders. And so we know that both the president's inaugural address and their first acts in office will often give us the vision that that president has for their administration. Like what is their agenda going to be all about? What are the issues that are most important to them? What are their priorities and what are the problems that they're going to tackle? So in short, if we're paying attention on inauguration day, we get a clear picture of what this administration is all about. In Mark chapter 1, it's the inauguration day of Jesus' public ministry. So starting in verse 21, Jesus gives his inaugural address, and then he does his first acts of public ministry. And just like with a president, if we're paying attention Jesus' first day in office actually gives us a pretty clear picture of what his kingdom is all about. So here's what's interesting. As you know, in the New Testament, we aren't just given one gospel witness to the life of Jesus, but four. And each of the four gospels describes Jesus' inauguration in a different way and from a different location. So in Matthew, we're given Jesus' inaugural address, or what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, where he lays out this beautiful, compelling vision for what life under his kingship is going to look like. In Mark, the story that we're looking at today that Johnny read for us earlier, the focus isn't so much on what Jesus says, but on what Jesus does on his first day in office. He goes to the synagogue and casts out an evil spirit. Uh, In Luke's gospel, Jesus launches his ministry by opening the scroll of Isaiah and announcing that the year of Jubilee has come once and for all. And he says that his kingdom, his administration, will mean good news for the poor, freedom for the enslaved, sight for the blind, justice for the oppressed. And then finally in John, Jesus inaugurates his ministry by turning water into wine at a wedding in Cana. And so in each of these four Gospels, Jesus' public ministry is introduced in its own way. And in each case, this kind of establishes the emphasis of that particular gospel. So in the Gospel of Mark, 
Jesus' kingdom is a confrontation with the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of Satan. And you'll notice as we go through that Mark pays more attention to Jesus' work of casting out demons and evil spirits than any of the other gospel writers. And all of this starts in a little town on the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum. So let's take a look at the first day of Jesus' public ministry and see what it shows us about what kind of king he is and what kind of kingdom he's bringing. We'll start in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So the first picture that Mark gives us of Jesus is of a teacher. It's the Sabbath, and since Jesus is a Jewish rabbi, he's invited to teach in the synagogue. Now, I've actually been in the synagogue in Capernaum. It's one of my favorite places to visit in Israel. Um, this is what it looks like today. The remains that you see on the left, made from white stone, are from the 4th century. But the black stones down low are actually from the first century. So this white synagogue was built upon the remains of what's called the Synagogue of Jesus. And it's cool because it's one of the places you can visit in the Holy Land where you pretty much know for sure that this is the exact spot where Jesus was. And so that's where this story happens. Jesus begins to teach, but again, Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus says in his inaugural address. But he does tell us how the people who were there react. Verse 22 says that the people were amazed. And you'll find that this is a recurring motif in Mark's gospel, that Jesus is constantly wowing and surprising people. He says it again down in verse 27. The people were amazed. Now, why were they amazed? Well, he tells us it's because Jesus taught as one who had authority. So these people came to synagogue every week on the Sabbath, and they had heard lots of different rabbis teach from the Torah. But Jesus was different. The way he taught was different. He taught with authority. So what does that mean? Does it just mean that he had a really confident and commanding presence? That might be how we think of authoritative teaching, but I don't think that's actually what these people were talking about. See, when a rabbi would teach, usually they would read a passage of scripture, and then they would present their interpretation of that passage, and then they would defend that interpretation by citing what other rabbis also held that view. So it's the kind of thing I do a lot in my sermons. Like, I'll tell you what I think the text is saying, and then I'll give you a quote from some Bible scholar or theologian who's smarter than me to try to back up my claim. So that's how most rabbis taught. They would mostly draw from others. But apparently that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't appeal to other rabbis. He appeals to himself. He doesn't quote a bunch of N.T. Wright and Tim Keller and Bonhoeffer like I do. He quotes himself. He teaches with authority, 
Or you could think about the connection between the word authority and the word author. It's like Jesus is the author of the story, not a spectator. And one of his primary teaching tactics throughout the gospel is you've heard it said, but I say to you. So he doesn't cite other rabbis to make his point. He cites himself and the people are amazed. But Jesus doesn't just speak with authority. The very next thing that he does is to exercise that authority in a way that shows he's not just all talk. So let's keep reading. Verse 23. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. So as Jesus is giving his inaugural address, this demon-possessed man starts flipping out and screaming at Jesus, interrupting the liturgy. Now, if you're anything like me, this is one of those parts of the Bible that raises some questions. Um, some of us may come from spiritual backgrounds where we're pretty comfortable talking about things like demons and evil spirits and possession. Um, and for lots of Christians around the world, this is pretty familiar stuff. For others of us, we tend to wonder if maybe there might be a better explanation for somebody acting out the way this guy does. We might be skeptical that he needs to be freed from a demon and maybe he just needs some Xanax and a straitjacket. But that's not the question that the people in the synagogue that day would have been wrestling with. For them, evil spirits and demon possession were pretty common occurrences. And in addition to being teachers of the law, most Jewish rabbis were also exorcists. Dealing with demonization was just part of their job. And so the people who were there when Jesus casts out this demon wouldn't have been weirded out by the fact that he does an exorcism. What blew their minds was how he cast the evil spirit out. We know from Josephus and other ancient historians that there were these extensive rituals that were typically involved in Jewish exorcisms. And each rabbi had his own way of dealing with demons. Sometimes they'd recite a certain passage of scripture over and over again. Sometimes they would blow a shofar or a ram's horn in a certain way, playing certain notes to try to shake the spirit loose. Uh, there were certain herbs that you would burn or oils you would anoint with. Sometimes they would dunk the person and hold them under water to try to drown the demon out or even drill a hole in the person's skull to release the demon. So there were all kinds of ways to perform an exorcism. But Jesus doesn't do any of that stuff. What does he do? He just tells the demon to be quiet and to get out of there. He doesn't do any magic tricks or ritual ceremonies. He simply speaks and the demon obeys. This guy has a seizure and the evil spirit goes away with a shriek. And the people in the synagogue that day are blown away. They've never seen anything like it. Look how they respond. Verse 27. 
The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So first, Jesus teaches with authority, but then he demonstrates that authority by casting out a demonic spirit just by telling it to leave. And people are amazed. They begin to ask each other, who is this guy? And no one can figure it out. Well, almost no one. Here's what's interesting. There's actually one character in this story who knows who Jesus really is. And it's not one of these devout Jewish students of the Torah who's been diligently studying the scriptures and waiting for Messiah. I don't even think Jesus' first disciples really know, knew who they were following yet. There's only one who knows exactly who Jesus is, and that's the demon. Remember in verse 24, the demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You have come to destroy us. So even if no one else understands what was going on on Jesus' inauguration day, this demon is paying attention. He gets it. He sees and he knows that Jesus is the king who has come from God to overthrow the kingdom of darkness and death, the kingdom of Satan. So what Mark's doing is setting the stage for the big showdown. Jesus' first miracle is an exorcism. And Mark wants to make it clear that Jesus has come to destroy the power of darkness. His ministry is waging war on, the, on these powers, and Jesus alone has the authority to overcome evil and sin and bring about healing and liberation and restoration to God's good, good world. That's what's happening on Jesus' inauguration day. He's announcing the arrival of a new kingdom, a kingdom that's built on everything that the kingdoms of this world are opposed to. Like instead of death, there is to be life. And instead of darkness, there is to be light. And instead of violence, there's to be peace. And instead of fear, there's to be love. That's what Jesus' kingdom is about. And to be faithful disciples of Jesus is to join our king in his campaign to overthrow the powers of sin and darkness. To boldly stand against anything that drags God's good world back into chaos. To oppose those forces that are at work against the flourishing of humanity. To follow Jesus is to live under his authority in such a way that it actually makes a difference in your life. See, it's not enough just to know the truth or to believe the right things about Jesus. Remember, even the evil spirit knew the right answer about who Jesus was. That doesn't mean he was a Christian. He just had the right information. 
The book of James makes this same observation. He says, you believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So it's possible to know the truth about who Jesus is without actually being Jesus' disciple. Because there's a difference between professing the name of Jesus and actually living under his authority. James goes on to say, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. The sad truth is that it's not hard to come up with examples of people who claim Jesus, but are living in ways that stand in direct opposition to his kingdom. This is a picture taken in Portland, Oregon, a hundred years ago. You know that Jesus saves? Good. Even the demons believe that. You can say that out of one side of your mouth, but then curse the image of God out of the other side of your mouth and prove that your faith is dead. Here are some pictures taken in Washington, D.C. a month ago. Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. His battle is not of flesh and blood. I don't care what your politics are. I really don't. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you will oppose the hijacking of his name by those whose first allegiance is to a kingdom other than his. Antioch, what would it look like for us as a community to live under the authority of Jesus in such a way that actually makes a difference? Because it's not enough just to know the truth. Even evil spirits know the truth. We're called to let that truth permeate every part of our being and to reorient our lives around the life-affirming, liberating, reconciling kingdom of God. Martin Luther once said that the life of Christianity consists in possessive pronouns. It's one thing to say Christ is a savior. It's quite another to say he's my savior. The devil can say the first. The true Christian alone can say the second. So the problem with getting caught up in the kingdoms of this world is that so often good and evil are reduced to us and them, right and left, red and blue. But the truth is, as the saying goes, that the line between good and evil runs down the middle of each of us. It cuts through the heart of every human being. And so when we proclaim that Christ is Savior, that Jesus saves, we first proclaim that he's our Savior, my Savior. And then we submit to his authority, letting him cast the evil out of us so that we can join his mission for the life of the world. I love you guys. Go in peace.